Hi everybody and welcome to this, the ARC360 podcast, taken from the webinar recorded on the 3rd of June 2020. Huge thank you to our corporate partners, ASIS, BMS, CAPS, BMAX, Integral, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Nationwide Vehicle Recovery Assistance and S&G Response, and also to our partners, the Green Park Specialists, DASA and the Innovation Group. Fantastic lineup of speakers. Uh, during this webinar, Mark Turner, Chief Commercial Officer at WNS Assistance, Trevor Webb, Claims Director of Sabre Insurance, and Chris Sweets, Executive Director of the NBRA. Please do sit back and enjoy the conversation. As I say, big thank you to our corporate partners and our partners for uh, supporting ARC360, continuing to support us through these uh, testing times for everyone, I'm sure. And uh, we will get ourselves started. So, let's move things on. So again, with these uh, webinars, as always, I like to put up the little uh, disclaimer first and foremost, so you can see it on your screens there. Again, for those listening in, uh, the views and opinions expressed during the following webinar are those of the individual contributors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the contributors employer, organisation, committee or other group or individual. Please respect any all contributions and we encourage you to join the conversation via the interactive functions available. So joining us this week, we've got uh, Mark Turner, Chief Commercial Officer of WNS Assistance. We've got Trevor Webb, Claims Director of Sabre Insurance. And we've got Chris Weeks, Executive Director of the NBRA. So I will just stop sharing the screen for one moment. And good afternoon, all. Good afternoon. We're very well. We've got plenty to go at today. Um, again, we've got CAPS Data Insights. We've got some Integral Insights. We've got, obviously, the continued general conversation around the industry and its re-emergence. So uh, we will find out plenty more. But uh, usual fashion, just a very brief kind of uh, catch up with each of our panellists now. Um, and I'll come to you first, Trevor. Um, hope you're well. If you could just give a brief introduction to yourself and kind of a little oversight in terms of really the last kind of couple of weeks within Sabre really? Yeah certainly so um, yeah Trevor Webb claims director at Sabre I've been with the business for about 10 years we're a small monoline insurer um, distributing primarily through intermediaries about two-thirds of our business and then to our direct brands um, go girl and insure to drive as a business we're very loss ratio focused so we're focusing on bottom line not so much around top line um, our claims operation is out of Dorking single site operation where our, our claims employees handle all of the back office activity, third party liability recoveries, et cetera. Um, and we outsource to our partners innovation group, first notification and accident repair management piece. Um, all of our people are working from home and um, we're, we're in a fortunate position where we've not had to furlough anybody. I guess at the moment I've, I've got two sort of key focuses. One is working very closely with our actuarial, actuarial team and our pricing team in terms of thinking what the future looks like because we're pricing business today that's exposed in both today's world of suppressed claims and 12 months into the future. So we're trying to sort of look through to say what are the correct premiums that we need to cover that period of time. 
Um, the second is, again, with pricing and actuarial, is looking at the different ch the changes to the claims that are coming through, because there are some significant changes in terms of the patterns. And we're, we're, in a moment, we're going to discuss some of those geographical ones, which is just an example of it. And third, again, with our actuarial team is, how do we deal with this issue in terms of our overall data? As insurers, we look at data on a three to five year range. And yet this is a, this is a scenario that's going to be with us for six months, 12 months, um, so, we, so we need to back that out. Operationally, we're now thinking about return to the office and we're, we're putting out information to our staff this week. Um, and really we're looking at a return to work. For those that are happy to do so over the next couple of months, really with a full phased return to work by September. So that's our <coughs> current plan, absent really a second peak. Um, and then I, I guess sort of importantly in terms of how this, this discussion goes, we are working closely with Innovation Group in terms of sharing information of both around our operational performance, but also around the network and those things that we can do to work together to try and support one another. So I guess that's what's taking up my time alongside reinsurance renewals and lots of other BAU stuff. Yeah, great stuff. Thank you very much indeed, Trevor. And uh, I'll come to you, Mark. A little uh, insight into your world right now. Yeah, hi, everybody. Uh, I'm Mark Turner, employed by WNS Assistance as Chief Commercial Officer. Uh, my role is growing the UK assistance business, uh, and my responsibilities include new business, uh, retention of current accounts, and their growth through the commercial and product development functions. I've been with the business for 23 years now and was part of the original startup in 97 called Town & Country Assistance, which was subsequently acquired by WNS Group Holdings in 2002. Uh, WNS Assistance provides motor claim services and some property services to a wide range of customers in the UK, uh, including tier one insurers, brokers, a rapidly growing number of MGAs, uh, clients where we've tagged on policy servicing of the product as well. Um, Services are generally provided on a modular basis uh, where repair management, the theme of today, is the most prevalent, um, but also end-to-end -end services from ethanol to large loss, uh, which is complemented by real-time analytics and a credit hire organized in-house credit organization and SRA regulated law firm business. Um, we are owned by WS Group Holdings, a New York stock listed uh, business process management leader with over 40,000 employees around the world. Uh, like Trevor, we, because we provide the end-to-end -end solution, all of the data that we have uh, internally across those claims functions that inform so many decisions within insurance companies and forecasts within insurance companies, uh, we're also responsible for doing for those MGA customers and large insurers where we represent the entire solution as we control the full indemnity spend. Um, priorities at the moment, um, we are... As with most, we saw the similar reductions that have been evidenced across the marketplace down to a sort of a fair 75% reduction mid-April and emerging more so in the last two weeks than, than, than the six weeks prior to that. Um, we continue to monitor the intelligence and the behavior patterns that display a, a correlation with claims volumes. Uh, so generally, weekly passion patterns that initially saw weekends with a disproportionately higher um, number of incidents so that we can resource and spread that resource uh, uh, to accommodate potentially new behaviors associated with re-emergence. Re um, this includes insight from Deloitte uh, on personal lines impacts of COVID, uh, in, including experience from other countries, 
um, driving data that's published online, things like Google mobility data and also telematics data from our partners, which help us to be hopefully one step ahead of the claim being reported. Um, we're back to roughly 54% um, uh, down prior to lockdown, but we are seeing, as we've said, as we've said in the last couple of weeks, uh, a resurgence. Um, and we expect with some of the other data that we've looked at and the patterns early part of this week to be roughly 50%, um, perhaps 49% under pre-lockdown. But monitoring those, and I think changing our focus from the immediate short term to the, to the long-term, uh, sort of medium and long-term impacts of this um, public health crisis and more so economic crisis um, is consuming our time at the moment. Brilliant. Thank you very much indeed, Mark. Great insight. And uh, Chris, we haven't seen you for a couple of weeks, uh, for those who have been tuning in. So Chris has joined us regularly. So uh, what's the update on, uh, on your latest uh, from the NBRA? Well, first of all, thanks. Thanks for having us back, Mark. I literally <laughs> would not know what to do on a Wednesday afternoon if it was <laughs> Art 360, but um, we, you know, MBRA are just trying to get back to normal now um, and helping our members get back to normal. So, uh, you know, I guess you've got the claims data around the 50% mark at the moment uh, of pre-lockdown. We're lucky that we work with the PRA, the Petrol Retailers Association, and and they're sort of saying at the moment, they're seeing fuel sales around the country at roughly 63% roughly of what they were prior to lockdown. And that's been a really good indicator so far for us of, you know, what's likely to be coming in the, in the following couple of weeks. Um, so we are on that continued upward trend. Um, the body shops are bringing back more and more of their staff uh, out of furlough. And we're really pleased, actually. That, uh, last time I was on a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that um, the MBRA had written to the Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, and said that, you know, effectively, the furlough system that we've got at the moment is a little bit too rigid. Uh, you know, once you come off it, you come off it. And if you go back on again, it's got to be for three weeks. And the French had um, a much more um, uh, flexible system where effectively the, the employee decided how they, how they operated it. Um, and we urged the Chancellor to, to make some changes uh, along those lines. And uh, delighted to say that, you know, they've been able to bring those in from July. Um, July is a bit disappointing. I wish it was June rather than July, um, but that will allow body shops to bring back some people on a temporary basis or part-time basis. It will give them a lot more flexibility should the work volumes flex, uh, flex up and down. Um, but yeah, pretty much at the moment, we're just helping everybody get back to work. And uh, we're also going through a program of phoning all of our members. So we've got two people off the road going through phoning all our members, seeing what their issues are, seeing if there's any collective issues that we can address. Right. Great stuff. And anecdotally, you, you are in, uh, you're in HQ in London today, aren't you? And you, yeah. you said it was a little bit quiet. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, I was astonished, actually. You know, I came in this morning on the train in the tube, um, and the tube was literally empty. You know, and there's, there's TFL staff standing around everywhere. You know, I, I must have been offered about 12 face masks, um, but there's just nobody here. Uh, but the roads, um, ironically, are absolutely full up in London. So, and I was talking to a colleague, the car parks are absolutely flooded in London. So I think what's happening is a lot of people are driving in and trying to avoid the, uh, the public uh, transport system, which is ironically completely empty. All right. Great stuff. Right. We'll go back. So we will just skip around a little bit. So we'll have a look at the, um, the CAPS 
claims analysis report for uh, last week, so weekend in the 29th. Uh, some of you will have seen it, it got circulated on Monday, but uh, just to give you an idea, so uh, it looks at unique claims, so claims that have actually been initiated, <coughs> um, that's a single count, and then supply chain transmissions, so those claims that have seen any additional transmissions off the back of it. Um, Caps obviously processing uh, 1 million uh, exchanges, if you like, uh, per day. And what we've seen is, if you like, a huge surge uh, the previous week where we had that, uh, what do we have, a 14% uplift. And then all of a sudden we've had that 1% decrease. So we're looking at kind of a potentially a similar pattern to what happened before. We had the increase, the increase and a little settlement. Uh, and same again, potentially. Again, is it related to, um, you know, people coming back to work, claims being processed and then kind of, you know, capacity reaching its limit? Um, is it related to obviously last week was a short week, about a half term? Um, four-day week as well so again there could have been some some kind of uh you know capacity issues there um so again we're just keeping track of this um week by week so great job from caps regionally uh increased claim activity from previous week again nothing kind of you know significant to write home about but uh, little uplifts there in the northeast republic of ireland scotland southwest and wales 14-day analysis. So again, this is how it's moving uh, every couple of weeks. And you can obviously see, uh, I don't know if we take the East Midlands, for example, um, you know, slight uplift there as well. Uh, Northern Ireland, the same. Um, so weekend in 22nd to weekend in the 29th, vari variability there. And then we've also got the lowest points to the highest points, which are being mapped by caps as well. So we can see, if you like, significant change in, in Northern Ireland at its, at its lowest point uh, has come a long way from there. Um, similarly, really, Northwest, again, dropped significantly to its lowest point uh, and has picked up again uh, hugely. East of England, in fact, you know, not too much movement there at all uh, at the moment. Now, again, last week, um, Ollie Chambers came on from Integral and gave us uh, an insight into the work that they've been doing in terms of heat mapping claims. Um, it was all obviously a live dashboard. Um, we haven't quite got that today, so we've just got some screen grabs, but again, equally valid information. So you can see kind of the heat map here of where claims are being uh, made. So claims activity going on, obviously the darker the color, if you like, the, uh, the higher the claims volumes. And top six volume postcodes, uh, RM312, RH10, DE24, PA3, and EH12 uh, are moving. So again, new postal hotspots. Um, so SL3 coming to life, IG11, TQ12, M8, WF2, and TR10. And just a kind of, you know, uh, little oversight, really 24% growth in claims from previous week. Uh, and again, so just to differentiate between the two caps is claims that are actually, if you like, being processed. These claims have not hit shops yet um, because of the lag potentially in booking stuff in. So there may be sort of spikes in claims and drivables, for example, that are still out there. But yet they've kind of, you know, have been notified. So they're not actually being dealt with yet. Um, we've got 30% growth in claims from April to May. So again, you know, another significant, if you like, milestone. So that's a, a good indicator. Peak areas, again, just reiterating, 
Essex, East Midlands, uh, Edinburgh and Glasgow belt, which was the same as the previous week when I was on last week. And the new hotspots emerging, Oxford, Newcastle, Belfast and Dublin. So come back to the panellists. Chris, any thoughts around all of that kind of data that's uh, just been heaped upon you, really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think uh, in terms of the... Um... The, the distribution of, of volumes and work, you know, I think I think they are all, as I say, very geographically based on the kind of people that live there and the kind of enterprises that, that operate in those areas. It's very much what we're seeing uh, through uh, the feedback from our members as well. Um, but, you know, there are sort of things that are uh, getting in the way as well. So anecdotally, we were getting quite a few uh, calls from our members to say that whilst they're getting instructions through uh, or they're beginning to come through again, um, customers are very reluctant to bring their cars in because they just haven't got the excess for the payments. Um, it sounded a bit anecdotal and, you know, it's always something that, that, that reverberates around the industry. But as we know, you know, a, a lot of excess is through the price comparison sites now. You can choose it yourself. Um, 700, 800 pounds isn't at all uncommon. Um, and maybe on the back of people being furloughed, being paid less, or self-employed people struggling, uh, they just haven't got the ability to pay. So we, we put together a little snap survey um, over the last couple of weeks, and it was really surprising. So we only had a sample of repairs come back. Uh, I think we had 56 uh, respondents to it. But what they were saying is where they normally get an issue with um, a customer paying an excess in about 3% of the instances, uh, throughout this COVID period, that has gone up to 15%, so five times larger. Um, of those small number of respondents that we had, um, they had between them 425 instances of a customer struggling to be able to pay their excess or unable to bring the car in um, to get the repair work done. You know, and from my point of view, um, well, 73% of all of them had encountered problems as well. You know, so, I mean, it's an old adage, and it's, it's one that MBRA is sort of long, um, uh, you know, been, been asking for. But, you know, I'm desperately keen uh, for a underwriter or an intermediary to take the ball by the horns and finally start to take the excess up front at ethanol um, yeah, I'd love to see that happen, and I can't wait to to announce the first one that does it, uh, because uh, body shops will be jumping up and down for joy. Um, you know, there was there was a time years ago where getting paid for a part of the repair up front would have been great, but you know, payment payment terms are pretty quick now, so that that benefit is evaporated. So yeah, that was just a really interesting thing that we found out over the last uh, week or so, Mark. That's great stuff, yeah. And that's a subject matter we spoke about when Dave Mills on DLG um, a few weeks back. Um, they're obviously trialing different things as we go. Um, so we'll come back to that point. So let's hold that thought. Um, Trevor, in terms of obviously the data we've just seen, again, insights from your perspective at the moment in terms of those, you know, claims uh, increasing, types of claims you're seeing. Yeah, so certainly the geographic thing is is obvious. And if we look at the sort of the, the immediate four nations, uh, there are very different um, exits from, from the lockdowns across there. And throughout, from day one, we've seen significant changes around geographic distribution, which you can explain away. So if you take the um, 
East Coast, for example, heavy in agriculture, probably more people maintaining their, their work, so less, less of a uh, delta to sort of a normal position. I think um, in terms of claims type, we're, we are seeing quite a change, and I suspect everybody's, everybody's seeing all the cyclists on the road. So the, it will not be surprising to anybody to see that we're seeing more accidents involving cyclists. We're seeing more accidents involving animals more accidents involving loss of control and hit and run and some of those sort of social behaviours that people are getting away with. So that that is having an impact on the mix between fault and non-fault. And I suspect, Chris, that may also be having an impact on the excess position mm -hmm. so that there are more customers going in that are having to pay their excess proportional relative to the number of claims that they're dealing with. We're, we're also... And, what any insurer will see this is a significant change in terms of the makeup of the vehicle car park in terms of the accidents which are occurring. So taxis, very little use, very few accidents. Small vans, high use, more accidents as a proportion of the claims that are coming through. So quite a distribution there. And if you look at your age profiles, again, you'll see some changes there in terms of the age of the uh, the age of the driver having the accident. If, if you benchmark it, sort of pre-lockdown and now, and it's gradually starting to move through, but we're nowhere near back to a normal position. Um, so, kids, for example, aren't driving to school or aren't driving to college, and actually using vehicles less. Whereas older drivers are perhaps out a little bit more than than might otherwise have been the case. So, yes, yeah, some significant changes. And that's the bit that's quite complex in terms of bringing that back into how we're pricing our business as well and what that means going forward. I think the other thing that we're, we're, we're not seeing is people change their cars. So frequently when people change their cars, that's, that does actually have an impact on the claims experience. Um, not surprisingly, when you bought a new car, you tend to have an accident or, or more likely to have an accident. The, the, fact that people haven't been changing their cars during this period is again having an impact. So there, there are lots of different um, issues that are sort of coming to play in terms of that claims um, makeup. That's great Trevor, thank you very much for that insight. And, and Mark, sort of same, same question to you really in terms of what you're seeing actually in terms of, of claims that you're processing and, and what's, uh, what's happening out there really? Yeah, we see a, a small variance on that sort of trend that we, we, we mentioned at the beginning across different lines of business. So we look after a number of MGAs and specialist insurers who have high net worth, agricultural, distressed career, HGV, uh, you name it, all the different niches um, which, which, which are out there amongst the uh, insurance population. And there are slight different variations. I think the new norm for us uh, currently has been able to heat map those accidents and particularly those repairs across our repair network so that we can you know, hopefully be better informed and, and advise those repairers um, what the capacity looked like when they reopened, they, they, be it they reopen with skeleton staff or, or, or to the fullest extent, um, that they know what they're coming back to. And if they had to shut during the lockdown period, that they're not penalised for that and the work that would be allocated to them or has been allocated to them that's mobile is still there for them to come back to. I think that's been the new norm. All of the other things which Trevor said there about the nature of the accidents coming through as well um, all makes absolute sense um, with what we're seeing in, in people's behaviors out there um, and I just and I echo again having our own claims department like Trevor that, that informs the MGA actuaries and underwriters um, with the day-to-day -day pull from us um, there's concerns out there with the reduction in V 
vehicle sales and therefore that being a big trigger to buy insurance, um, the, the, the squeeze on an already insanely competitive uh, aggregator market for, for, for a quote stage, um, which is putting pressure on the, in, the, the loss ratios the other way. Um, also, <clears throat> the unknown impact that that will have on uh, reinsurance renewals, um, potential fraud and up increases in threat, theft during the economic subsequent economic downturn. Um, and also um, any potential horrible credit hire you know, claims that we see coming out the back of this this lockdown. Okay, great stuff, great stuff. Go on, Chris. Actually, while you're on. Um, I mean, obviously, Mark, you know, I, I heard what you said, you're intermediary, uh, doing a lot of work for the MGAs now, which is tremendous. Um, you probably haven't got a lot of scope to, um, you know, do a lot differently for your supply chain, but... You know, with, with the MGAs themselves and the insurers that you work with, have you been able to push them at all for, you know, helping out the supply chain throughout this sort of difficult period? Or is there anything you're planning to do uh, that, that could help them going forwards? Yeah, absolutely. I think aside from that, that planning and that sort of capacity management, which is a, is a daily priority for us, um, we you know, engage with the repairers and help them where we can with all of the various uh, VAT relief um, schemes, the bounce back loans, the business yeah. interruptions loans, and the grants, retail grants that we've seen coming through. Um, uh, as you say, we, we are paid, we, we pay when paid. So um, we're the intermediary in that transaction and we operate a, a cash neutrality position. So we don't use our own cash to, to settle the repairs. Um, we have improved the speed of the turnaround and the proportion of electronic payments, which doesn't require then any sort of physical banking of that during the lockdown period. Um, and yes, we've facilitated discussions with pretty much all of our MGAs and insurer clients where we're responsible for authorizing the repair and therefore any ancillary items which have been incurred as a consequence of the lockdown, um, particularly sanitizing the vehicles. Um, and they are um, authorized by our, by our engineers. Where we're not the authorizing party, um, we are in discussions with those insurance companies, um, which it ultimately will be it'll be their decision. But I think there's a there's a line to toe there in terms of a precedent which has been which has been set. I think the insurance companies, um, you know, are not unreasonable. I think the with all everything else I've just said around the exposures which which they see uh, potentially as a consequence of this crisis, um, are, are, are coupled with the fact that. I think AD spend and scrutiny has been under such scrutiny over the last few years with the compound inflation that we've seen um, as well. But um, it's in their gift to 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 um, add those costs on or not as a new sort of standard precedent. Where you get resistance, in, and, and, I, and I agree with this, is um, not subsidising an economic downturn for an industry, but I think most of them were happy to pay for a reasonably incurred charge at this time. Yeah, no, I do. I do agree with that, and I don't think you know it's their responsibility to uh, to subsidise the supply chain at all during a period like this. And you know, we, we've said all along that common sense is what we need to see prevail. Um, and we've had a lot of feedback from our members, both positive and negative, where we've seen you know sensible decisions being made um, at an engineering or intermediary level around yeah. costs that have had to be absorbed by repairers. But equally, we've seen some absolute madness as well. And, you know, I think our message is that just 
just give the you know make sure the engineering teams have got the latitude to make sensible decisions um you know we know that uh, and we're always happy to talk about the positive things and you know we did see the lv had stepped forward to start paying for estimating costs or uh, paid for the charge um for repairers and i thought that was a tremendous step forward you know i definitely think that um you know the repairer shouldn't be paying for estimating because it's a direct cost of the repair but i thought that was an amazing step forward by lv and i also heard this week that um uh, gallagher bassett of for their network have put introduced 150 pound uh COVID charge per job to uh, absorb all the things that they've been having to pick up so you know, there are some brilliant instances out there, but uh, I understand that all you can try and do, Mark, is, is push back, isn't it? And uh, make sure that sensible decisions being made. Yeah, absolutely. So, and today, I think, I think that's what we've seen. Um, there's, there's obviously, a, you know, a million one things that, that kind of Mark and, and Trevor, you've both said that you're kind of keeping eyes on at the moment. What have been, I suppose the most significant learnings and, and this comes to you as well, Chris, in terms of, you know, whether that be from a body shop's perspective, uh, um, from an intermediary or, or from an insurer, what are we learning about ourselves, the industry right now that's, you know, that we can take forward payment terms are changing. You know, we've changed rapidly. All of a sudden we've, we've moved very, very quickly. Um, you know, an industry which isn't typically renowned for, for its quick movements, but, um, what are we learning? Um, so that, that comes to you first, Trevor. Okay, I guess um, a few things. The, f the first is that our, op our operation moved to home just prior to lockdown and fully on, on the cusp of lockdown. And in reality, we've had to trust our, our staff and our, our colleagues. And that's worked really well. But alongside that, we've needed the controls and the verification and some a significant amount of communication. So daily, intraday communication with, with our colleagues that um, is taking place. But we've also had, or we've also then extended that into our supply chain. So we're having daily conversations and weekly conversations with our supply chain where we're looking to empower them to make the right decisions to run their businesses without stepping in and running their businesses and making them uh, or, or forcing decisions on them. And at the same time, making sure that the controls are balanced around what they're doing. I think um, information sharing here is definitely been a benefit from this this point in time. So the discussion that we're having with individual suppliers in terms of sharing information is a lot more granular than it would ordinarily be in a sort of a, a business as usual environment. Um, and I think I think the other thing that we've had our eye on is our regulator and the fact that once we're through this process. Um, we do expect the regulator to be asking how we've dealt with it and what our controls were during that period of time. So um, we've sort of very much gone along the path of thinking, actually, what is it we're going to need to be able to demonstrate that we have done after the event? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so same question to you, Mark. I mean, what are your, you know, your key learnings from, from, from where you're sat, really? Um, yeah, uh, for me, I think the first sort of sentiment I put out there was the resilient of, resilience of the network that we have in place currently. And for those that stayed open um, during the lockdown, some of the sort of exemplary behaviour that we saw, it'd be remiss of me not to acknowledge that on this platform. 
Um, so, so first of all, um, the performance of the, the supply chain that we had in place in the industry as a whole, as it reacted, I think, um, was, was more than up to standard. Um, our, our, our internal infrastructure and technology um, is really important. Um, it worked really well with our work from home solution. We were propelled into a work from home solution very early on because of local events. Um, at one of our offices, we have Ipswich, Cheetah and Glasgow. Um, and that um, really sort of underpinned and underlined some of the enhancements that were underway to our system, which are, which are now completed, which will help us in the, I think, medium term regarding any other subsequent fallout of the, of the lockdown period and the crisis. So I hope you've enjoyed the podcast so far. Some great conversation taking place. Big thank you to our corporate partners once again, Asis, BMS, CAPS, Emacs, Integral, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Nationwide Vehicle Recovery Assistance and S&G Response. And also our partners, the Green Parts Specialists in Data and the Innovation Group. Enjoy the second part of the podcast. Great stuff. Now, now Chris, you know, we kind of, everyone thinks they know, you know, the industry inside out, but, but from a, you know, MBRA or from a body shop specific perspective you know what have we learned about body shops is it you know dare i say it, is it more fragile industry than we, we originally thought is it actually you know really switched on and, and we can manage with this kind of uh, you know should this ever arise again hmm. i mean to use mark's word i think resilient um is really uh, really apt at the moment um the body shop industry is fragile we know it's a you know we know it's a high volume low margin business um, and it doesn't operate very well in situations such as this, where we drop down to 20% of the normal volumes. Um, were it not for uh, the Chancellor's you know, job retention scheme, we, we as an industry would be absolutely decimated, but then so would so many others. I don't, you know, with, the, with the exception of the likes of Apple that are very cash rich and companies like that, not many can. Uh, trade through a set of circumstances like this, keeping all their costs in place. So the repairers have been extremely resilient. Um, they've worked together uh, very well. There's been a hell of a lot of camaraderie out there and a lot of support from each other. Um, it's been absolutely a privilege to work with them throughout this period. Uh, they've been absolutely fantastic. Um, but one thing that does sort of come through for me, and it's a problem we had before this, is about our inability really to come together as an industry where there's a, a common threat to us and to be able to collaborate and agree things um, in a really formal way and process. So, you know, Trevor is a member of our insure, MBRA Insurer Advisory Board and um, a, an excellent member of it as well and speaks a hell of a lot of sense um, you know, we are in a competitive environment. Everybody is. The insurers are, the repairers are. And to try and get agreement uh, on subject where there's such diverse models out there is very, very difficult. Um, it, it, you know, even in the best of times. Uh, but I do think we need to find a way. You know, we'd be mad if we went through this and we didn't find a way to be able to work together and agree common things together where there's a common issue or a common threat that affects the whole market. So that, that's a learning for, for me, you know, we need to try harder at that and find a way to break through. Um, you know, things like the COVID charges, I see Mike Monaghan has, has put a message out there. Um, 
you know, we should have been able to agree it as an industry all the way across, boom, 80 quid. Everybody pays it. It's not exactly price fixing. It's not anti-competitive. It's a cost that having to be absorbed. But, you know, repairers are getting it in some cases and not in others, or they're getting a tenner. You know, simple things like that in the future, we ought to be able to nail down quickly. Um, so that's a big learning point for me. Okay, great stuff. Um, now, in terms of that, and again, as we move on, I suppose, you know, Chris has already said the COVID charge, you know, that's almost... Well, it, it's still here, obviously, but it's kind of, you know, maybe that timeline has gone when that could have been agreed. But where are we, you know, what challenges do we now face as an industry that, you know, potentially there is room for some sort of collaboration on or thought processes? You know, we've talked about human resource management, getting people back off furlough, coming back to work. You know, are there, have you got your sights set on things that areas that we could, you know, work, work on together in terms of, um, you know, what's to come really. And I'll bring that one to you, Chris, I suppose, in the first instance. Yeah, I mean, this does hark back to the MBRA insurer or work provider advisory board meetings that we had. Um, you know, as, an, uh, as leading an association for repairers, I've got a wish list as long as, as long <laughs> as we're on, right, of things that I would like to change for repairers. Um, and I'd like to improve for them. But, you know, realistically, a lot of it is super, super difficult to get agreed at a macro level because Direct Line have got a different model to this, to Admiral, to, you know, some are broker. It's really, really difficult. Um, but the one thing that we do all agree on is there is still a lot of friction uh, in the process that hurts underwriters, intermediaries, and repairers you know te technologically we've not exactly smashed it yet you know we've got a lot of body shop management systems in there we've got various things caps uh, is a great example of you know the the opportunity there is enormous okay so we've kind of got a lot of it in there already a lot of it is at our fingertips and yet still we're duplicating effort enormously um, you know we can have all the technology you like a body shop is still going to have a bank of about five or five people there picking up the phone to to answer questions that have already been put into the system. And you know, and I get it. Repairers aren't always the best at updating systems uh, electronically, but you know, there is still huge scope there to change things as long as we can share the benefit. You know, it doesn't just go into the ether. Um, so I, th I think that's a, a huge one. There's still a lot around mobility that needs sorting out you know it drives me mad that body shops are still providing or paying for courtesy cars or leasing cars for fort mobility that drives me absolutely mad we should all get rid of that as an industry you know i've got a few little soapbox issues to cover up <laughs> what have i started but you know but but we're in an opportunity you know we've never come together more as an industry than we have throughout this period. And I think the ARC 360s have been a huge part of it. Um, it's brought us all together and we've got some momentum. We've started talking. Um, I just urge the whole industry really to change their mindset and let's start working together better to really start to improve a few big things out there. Fair enough. Trevor, um, well, th thoughts on obviously what some of what Chris has just said, but at the same time, um, you know, are there kind of milestones that you're looking at as, you know, 
society starts to reopen that you think right that is a critical timeline for either us as a business our network claims volumes conversations whatever it might be you know they're real critical timelines that you're looking at right now yeah so i guess we're keeping a very much an eye on terms of how claim volumes are developing um and if we look at the latest apple data that would suggest that we're at 80 percent now of um, pre-lockdown numbers um We've got to reflect that in terms of the way that our new business sales have been impaired over the last um, sort of going through COVID when people just weren't changing insurance products. So so, to to work that through. For us on an operational basis, it's really how efficient can we be at home versus the office and how do we need to get people back? Um, And then working very much particularly with innovation in terms of how we manage that return to full service as, as volumes come back. And I think, and this, this is a point really I'd sort of echo what Chris is saying. I think part of that is how we think about SLAs. Um, I think we've got to be absolutely realistic about SLAs. And actually during this period of time, we, we're not seeing customers. They understand what's going on. And that's because we're, we're giving them choice. We're giving them better education about the process. And I think a lot of the SLAs that um, have been applied to um, our body shops and our networks actually aren't meaningful. So I think that that's, that's a big area that I, I, I would sort of add to Chris's list of things that we should be looking to change as well as embracing the technology that becomes available to us. Um, what, what else in terms of our, our key milestones I think it is very much going to be driven by the um, by the volumes as as they as they change and and how we ensure that particularly for body shops that aren't online at the moment that they only come back online when they're ready for that. What what would be the worst thing is for body shops to come back and there's insufficient work around. So I think we need to make sure that there's good dialogue taking place with the work providers. Great stuff. Thank you very much. And Mark, I'll, I'll come to you. We've obviously, Chris has touched on a few kind of points. Trevor's mentioned SLAs in there. We've talked, you know, again, milestones in terms of where we're looking. Same really for yourself. You know, give us a little insight into you know, what areas potentially could we improve? Um, are we looking at what milestones? Volumes is obviously critical amongst all of this. But, but you know, are there other key areas where you think, mm, actually, you know, in hindsight, or we've, we've had chance to look at that now and it, uh, it maybe is time for change? Yeah, so, I mean, in terms of milestones, I think um, it's, it's prudent. And as a team, we're turning a bigger proportion of our attention to, to the medium-term impact of this throughout 2020 and into 2021. Um, and really, as a team, um, making sure we've got the right balance of our obligations to all our constituent members, be that our customers, our suppliers, our staff, um, our clients, and our, um, and our owners and investors. Um, the the planning around really, I think it, it, it's prudent to look at some potential impacts going forward as well in that medium term. So um, we've talked about volumes and of course, severity and frequency is absolutely key in terms of our obligations and feeding that data to our customer, as Trevor has already said. Um, but we've got to look at potential scenarios of a, uh, a summer spike coming through if the 
if everybody doesn't go abroad this year and we see more miles driven on the road and people probably not you know likely to to stay away in the UK as well and more day tripping then I think we potentially see a, a summer spike there but the milestone really is for the end of the year and what does the new normal look like in terms of the the, the, the steady frequency you know is that going to be 80% of pre-lockdown as per the Deloitte report I think it's going to be somewhere between 80 and 90 by the by the end of December so that once there's stability really and, and everybody can sort of refocus and, and the forces of supply and demand will you know will push us into the, to the right equilibrium of, 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 of repairers terms work providers and any other movements which happen as a consequence um, it's prudent to prepare as well, really, uh, and model other scenarios which may come. We've had the sort of hammer blow of the initial impact of lockdown on the industry and everybody else's industry. Um, but there's, we've got to look at potential scenarios of potential um, OE part shortage. I know that um, inventory in the UK was up in preparation for Brexit, but potentially um, manufacturers in Asia where factories have been shut could impact us a little bit further down the line. So tactically looking at other parts supply solutions um, is, 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 a, is a good thing to look at right now before it does hit. Um, we might see potential regional lockdowns. We might see symptom-related closures of either our offices, our suppliers' offices, you know, our repairers' offices. Um, they, you know, God forbid there could be a second wave uh, as well in, in the winter. So it's prudent at this point where the new norm is really to, to manage the day-to-day -day, um, numbers and capacity within re repairers to actually model those scenarios and have a plan ready to execute should, should any, any of those events happen. Fantastic. That's, that's great insight once again. And, and Chris, I come to you. Um, you know, we, we've, we've spoken about milestones over, over the period of a few weeks, really. Um, furloughs obviously i think sub since we last spoke has been extended um but yet there's still obviously you know a time when uh companies are going to have to start making contributions to those furlough payments and things change slightly you know is there again you know a different timeline now for body shops that they should be looking at or are looking at so we're doing our best to advise repairers that um you know ask for advice around what how far to come back and how quickly. But we're all looking at the same data and we're all making, you know, the same calculations almost on a daily basis. Um, so as the claims start to come back on in uh, regional areas, people are making decisions around it, having to look hard at um, their, their finances and their cash position and considering, as you say, that, you know, more and more uh, as we go forward, employers are going to have to pay a greater proportion of the furlough and the uh, national insurance pieces, even though we've got sort of some more flexibility. Um, but I, I do think you're going to have um, a difficult time for repairers as they're coming back and um, they've managed to avoid quite a lot of their costs. They've still had some invoices coming in for work that they did prior to, to lockdown, but now they're having to reinvest again in parts uh, equipment for, for new jobs um, and their suppliers are coming at them very quickly some of them reasonably aggressively as well in order to settle up their terms um, body shops weren't in a brilliant cash position you know in, in, prior to this they're certainly not in a great one now so it, you know I think we've got some really testing times for repairers going forwards uh, in terms of having the, the financial ability 
to, to keep trading on, even though they've got work coming at them. Uh, it's a bit like an, an expanding business that sort of runs out of cash. Um, so that's a challenge, and it's something that we're constantly looking at ways to help our members with. But once we're on that subject, you know, I think quite a few of our members have got fairly deep concerns, comp maybe completely uh, unjustifiably, um, about intermediaries and credit hire companies, etc. Um, you know, I was on a, a call with uh, the CHO last week uh, that had a lot of credit hire companies on it. Um, they all would have been through a difficult situation here as well, um, you know, like any other intermediaries. And the concern for repairers is, you know, they may have a lot of debt sitting with an intermediary. Um, and, you know, as we've had in the past, sometimes they go bang, sometimes they go pop. Uh, if a repairer goes pop, you know, the, the, the world shrugs its shoulders and goes, oh, there he goes, another one. Um, when a big accident management company goes pop, um, you know, repairers don't get paid and they lose a lot of money. And, you know, it, they're difficult to come back from in the best of times. At the moment where there's no cash, um, it would be pretty, pretty tough indeed. So that's a real worry um, for our members. And, you know, it's something that needs to sort of come up the agenda for us as an association is to is to try and find a way to give our members more protection around things like that. You know, um, whether, you know, Mark, I don't know whether, you know, uh, there's consideration given to that, to that kind of challenge within your organization, um, you know, about the ability to put money into escrow, for example, uh, and stuff like that. But it is a real concern at the moment. And it's something that we, we need to push up the agenda before something happens. Okay, fair enough. Now, Mark, have you got any comments that you want to make on that? I think, um, you know, that obviously would come with a credit risk itself for either WNS or for uh, for an insurance company. Um, you know, whilst we, we, we're going to do everything we can, um, I've already complimented the network that we've currently got in place. We don't want to lose any of those members um, that have been with us for so long and helped us through this period. Um, and support us in our key insurer and MGA relationships. So, you know, whilst we, fear, whilst we fight fiercely with our competitors out there in the marketplace, there is a common fundamental principle, fundamental infrastructure upon which we all rely, you know, only as, only as strong as its weakest point. So um, we're always happy to entertain better ways of, of funding that and maintaining that. Um, but at the end of the day, it's not really our money um, to be able to do that with, we'd need to be able to do that with our customers. And as part of our role, we can always have those conversations. Okay. Great stuff. Now, I, I think we've, you know, I think we're, the conversation we've, we found a lot of positives to stem from this, um, you know, over the weeks, that's kind of becoming apparent. And one of the key things that we've spoken about is communication and the fact that, you know, everyone seems in more, you know, greater contact with each other, better understanding of each other's businesses. Um, potentially more than ever before um which is great but you know and again the question is do we think the industry will ever be the same again and i'll come to you with that one trevor um i i suspect it will look different but not a million miles away from where it is today i think i think um, insurance has its cycle and people very quickly forget about the areas of the past and sort of return um, so we always see this sort of soft and hard cycle within a 
insurance pricing environment. Um, I'd like to think that some of the improvements in communication will lead to better innovation and pick up some of those points that Chris has made. Um, and that actually that dialogue between the work providers um, and, and the body shops will, will lead to innovation and, and improvements. I think my, my concern is though, is this is such a competitive market um, and repair cost inflation is the biggest in the last two, three years has had the biggest focus that it's had in my entire career in the, um, in the insurance industry. Yeah. Um, so there are going to be challenges around insurers maintaining cost control, um, which doesn't mean that we're going to be able necessarily just to support everything that we would um, or that Chris and his members would want us to be able to do. Um, However, we're engaging like we've never engaged before, and therefore that dialogue should continue to see what, what innovations can come from it. And certainly in our, our discussions with Innovation Group, we have got a number of ideas in terms of things that we've already done and enhancements that we can make to the, uh, to, to the network that, that supports us. Okay, great stuff, Mark. Um, how critical is, is time um, and decision-making right now in, in the industry? Are, are we blessed with kind of, you know, just seeing this out or is it, is it truly, you know, time to take some, some potentially radical action? I think, I think the, the action that's already kind of forced its way into place is, is you, Trevor's already mentioned it, the improved collaboration and, if, if you like, candour between the work provider and the repairer because you know at, at times of crisis we need to cut straight to the chase straight to the truth uh, of the matter we don't want to be overloading repairers that can't take the volume we don't want to be taking work away from from repairers that have opened as for you know for one of the purposes being for wns's uh, provision of work which they which they get allocated to them um and i do think and i hope as well that the um many initiatives can be born out of that new level of candor and collaboration between um, work providers and um, repairers and also there's an opportunity there as well if, if you like a silver lining which um, I think work providers um, like ourselves where we're already sort of at a mature stage with it but others as well that, that necessarily aren't necessarily will look at their digital estate and their levels of automation that they have in engaging customers and customers and repairers and, and that entire customer journey um, and potentially accelerate that um, which will be a benefit for the industry as a whole. Great stuff. Um, I'll come back to you in a second, Chris. Um, Trevor, questions come through. Neil Atherton, um, you were talking about bringing people back to the office. Um, that potentially is reduced significantly um, because of efficiency gains that could be made by people letting, letting people work from home. What's your thoughts on that? I think our thought is that we've, we've worked efficiently and effectively from home. However, part of the DNA of our particular business is that we're very close in the community. Um, and we just don't get that in the current working scenario. Um, and particularly for our trainees um, in, in terms of, and individuals development is quite a challenge. There's a lot of activity in our business, again, between our pricing and our claims and our actuarial teams. And, we can do Zoom calls all day long, but it's not the same. Um, we're not having those water fountain conversations which actually inspire and, and um, progress the business. 
Um, we, we've never been a business that's been huge in terms of big formal meetings. So I think for us, I would say that we are missing that office environment. Um, and um, we, we would like to return to it. Okay, fair enough. Um, Chris, just giving to you very conscious of time. Um, priorities for you and your members over the sort of coming week or weeks? Yeah, well, very much our priorities, supporting our members through the sort of, you know, come back to work. Uh, as I said, we're going to be in touch with all of our members to really understand the challenges that are in front of them right now. Um, we're ready to adapt and to change our products and services in order to give them what they need in, in the moment. Um, so, yeah, that's that's probably their sort of key priority for the moment. Um, but, yeah, going back to sort of what you said earlier, you know, it, it has been a, an epoch event, I suppose is the right word. And it, it needs to be a catalyst for change for the industry. You know, um, repairers have slimmed down, cut costs out and everything else. I think a lot of them coming back to work are surprised at what they're able to achieve with less of their staff there. Um, and, you know, with, with sort of streamlined, more efficient processes that they've been forced to put together. Um, so it's been a big learning curve for repairers and us as an association. Um, but as I said earlier, you know, the, the real benefit to all of us as an industry uh, will be around real collaboration, you know, really putting together some operating principles that cut all the way across the market and guidelines that everyone can work to that just make sense. You know, things that are not around the competitive elements of stuff, just common sense stuff that we should all be doing. And that needs to be, you know, a key priority for us to keep pushing forward with. Fabulous, wonderful stuff. Now, uh, just before we wrap up, um, repairers, there is a new trend tracker ARC 360 MBRA survey out at the moment. So uh, if you can complete that, we'll be giving you the full update um, next week on the webinar in terms of the results from there. Again, it's a continuation of the previous two that we've run. So hopefully we'll gain, a, again, a continued insight into the activity of the industry at large. Um, been another great webinar. Thank you very much indeed uh, to yourself, Trevor, Trevor, uh, Mark and Chris. Once again, thanks very much for your time and all your input. Um, again, just to raise awareness around our corporate partners and the Motor Claims Festival, which takes place at the end of the month, uh, contact the ILC team for more. Lots of activity throughout the entire week, uh, sessions and various social events taking place. So, uh, And uh, hopefully at some stage soon, we'll be back to um, some form of physical events. But in the meantime, take care, everybody. Thank you very much for tuning in once again. And we will see you all again next week. Take care, all. Thank you. Bye-bye. And so there you have it. The podcast taken from the webinar recorded on the 3rd of June 2020. Um, some really good conversation and some great points made by Mark, Trevor and Chris there. And, uh, you know, it's fantastic to take the positives out of uh, out of all of this in terms of how the industry is now communicating and uh, arguably, I suppose, never been never been closer before. Huge thank you once again to our corporate partners, ASIS, BMS, CAPS, Emacs, Integral, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Nationwide Vehicle Recovery Assistance and S&G Response. And our partners, the Green Park Specialists in DASA and Innovation Group. Keep well, everybody, and we look forward to catching up with you again next week.
Thanks very much for tuning in and we look forward to catching up with you again next week. Take care, everybody.